All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, and we're moving right along. Kathy and I are excited about what God is doing. So many doors are opening, and He's moving, and He's got everything in the hollow of His hand. And He has you in the hollow of His hand. Well, you can go ahead and stand and turn to verse 45 of Matthew 24. The last few weeks I've been preaching on prophecy. Boy, have we gotten response from that. People all over the place are wanting to know what is happening prophetically in this world. I understand this morning, I didn't see it on the news, but this morning apparently the announcement was made by the Lebanese government that the ceasefire was canceled. And, you know, folks, uh, these things do not surprise us. I've shared with you from the Word of God what it clearly says about these things. We need to be looking up for our redemption draws nigh, and that brings me to what I want to talk about today. As we begin to read in Matthew 24, I want to quickly, the, three, or the disciples have gone to Jesus and have asked Him a question, actually three. And here's what they asked Jesus. They said, if I can find it real quick, there it is. They said, tell us what will or when will these things be? Question one, when will these things be? Question two, what will be the sign of your coming? And question three, and of the end of the age? Three questions. Now, I shared a couple of weeks ago, Jesus gave some general signs, and we have that on CD right out there. If you weren't here for that, you ought to get it because not only um, specific signs have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled, but general signs having to do with nature and so on and so forth, Jesus immediately began to answer these three questions. But what a lot of folks don't realize is in the same sitting, he kept talking. And he shared three parables that had to do with being ready for Jesus' return being ready for his return. So he didn't, he didn't close shop and walk away and talk later the, about these parables. He kept talking. He's on the same vein. He's still answering the three questions. He's responding to it. Now, in that context, let's look at verse 45, because here's the first parable. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? In light of these things that I've just told you, who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Now, if you've got a pen, I want you to underline that last phrase, to give them food in due season, because this is the, the gist of this parable. It's the point of the parable. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. So, if we obey what's in this parable, there's going to be a reward. And I want you to keep that in mind. Jesus is going to make the obedient to this parable ruler over all his goods in the world to come. So this matters. You talk about laying aside a 401k. Now, Verse 48, but if that evil servant says in his heart, 
What does he say, everybody? Read it with me. My master is delaying his coming. Then it says something happens to the person who ceases believing that Christ is returning. Something happens to them. Look what happens. They begin to beat their fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. We would call it backsliding. They begin to backslide. You get your eyes off of Jesus and something happens to your walk, especially if you cease believing he's returning. You begin to backslide. Verse 50 says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him. And at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in half. Oh, Jesus said that. Will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I've always believed the weeping and gnashing of teeth has to do with seeing the reward you could have had and, and knowing that you're not going to get it. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. I thank you for a people that are looking for your coming. Open our eyes and feed us, Lord, today out of the good word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. Now, I want you to put that parable on the back burner just for a minute. And let me just again say, this is the first of three parables in Matthew 24 and 25. This is the first of three. Now, the backdrop for these parables is very important. Let me give you the backdrop. Jesus has just left the temple. He's just walked out of the temple and Jerusalem, and he's never going to return again until after his arrest. He'll only return after his arrest. Before leaving the temple, he looked around at that temple and he said to his disciples something that made them ask the questions we just reiterated. He said, your house is left to you desolate. And they want to know, what do you mean by that? Your house, our house is left to us desolate. Now this perplexed them. And so they, as they were walking along the slopes of the Mount of Olives, they asked him those three questions. I'm going to give you the questions again so we can have it firmly in our mind. They said, number one, tell us when will these things be? When will these things be? Second, what will be the sign of your return? It was understood with the disciples by this time that Jesus was going to return. It was a given fact. He was going to return. So they said, what are the signs of your coming? And third, what are the signs of the end of the age? Three questions. Now, Jesus took these three questions and he answered them. Number one, when will these things be? When will these things be? What things? The things that he had just spoken of in the temple. When he said to the Jews who had rejected him and not recognized the day of their visitation from God, <clears throat> your house is left to you desolate. That's who he said it to. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you in my arms like a hen gathers her chicks but you would not. And then he said, your house is left to you desolate because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
You know, folks, there's something to be said about realizing when God is knocking on the door of your heart and responding to the hour of your visitation. There are seasons in every life when God visits, God knocks, God comes along and says, I want entry into your life. I want you to come to me. I am, I am approaching you at a crossroads and I want you to let me in. He came to his own and his own received him not. To those people, he said, your house is left to you desolate. The house was the temple and Jesus predicted its total destruction. He said, do you see all these things, the beauty, the grandeur of this temple? Do you see all this? I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. It's as if I said today, do you see this building? Do you see this beautiful high ceiling, the beautiful stone work? Do you see all this? The day is soon coming, not one stone will be left on another. It'll be totally leveled. It was that heavy. Seventy years later, that was fulfilled. I've shared with you in the last few weeks, the Romans invaded Jerusalem. They leveled the temple. There was not one stone left on another. Just like Jesus had said, a million Jews were slaughtered and the rest of them were scattered to the four corners of the world. And that we've been going over the last few weeks. Only in 1948 were they regathered into a nation again. Seventy years later, it was fulfilled. So that part, question one, has already been fulfilled. The second question, what's going to be the sign of your coming? Jesus replied that it would be as clear and visible as a flash of lightning stretching from east to west. Jesus said, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Last night when I was getting out of my car to go minister at First Baptist in Carrollton, I looked up and the sky was getting dark in the distance and suddenly a flash of lightning stretched across the sky. It was there and then it was gone. And I thought of these words. Jesus said, my coming is going to be so fast, so unexpected, so sudden. It's going to be like a flash of lightning stretching across the sky there and then gone. You will not know it's coming. It'll happen so fast, many will not know it's gone. And I thought to myself, you know, in the amount of time that took for that lightning to flash, I wouldn't have had time to get right with God. Jesus said, my coming is going to be like lightning. It's going to be sudden. People will not expect it. Life will be going on as usual. People will not have listened to the word of God. Jesus said it's going to be like Noah's day before the great flood. Jesus said they were eating, they were drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. I used to read that and say to myself, well, what's wrong with that? That's his point. They were not taking seriously the preaching of Noah. They weren't doing anything wrong in that respect, except they were denying, resisting, ignoring, shutting their ears to the preaching of Noah. Noah was preaching for over a hundred years. Noah preached to that generation. Noah said, water is going to come out of the sky. God is bringing judgment. There's going to be a great flood. And nobody listened. They thought he was the crazy old man building a boat. They didn't believe the word of the Lord through Noah. They didn't listen to him. Jesus said, they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. <clears throat> so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be just like that. In Noah's day, there was a universal callousness towards God. He said, I'm telling you, God has spoken to me. There's going to be a judgment. 
And Jesus said it's going to be that way before I come. They're not going to be listening to the message of the cross. They will not take seriously the word of God. They will not listening, listen to the message that Jesus Christ, instead of rain, Jesus is going to appear in the sky. They're not going to take it seriously. They're not going to listen. They're not going to listen to the preaching of the church. There's going to be a universal callousness to God. Peter predicted the same attitude before Jesus returned. He said, knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? I don't see him coming. Things are going on like they've always gone on. I don't see any difference. Looks fine to me. No big deal. Don't be so fanatical. Have a life. Have some fun. Jesus said it's going to be just that way. And then he's going to come suddenly. You know, those people in Noah's day, they were just sitting there going through another day, marrying, giving him marriage. And suddenly something began to drop onto their heads. They looked up. And for the first time in the history of mankind, water was falling out of the sky. Darkness had covered the blue canopy. Suddenly, water began to fall. Before then, the earth had been watered by a mist from the ground. But suddenly, water began to fall out of the sky. And they remembered the preaching of Noah. But God had already moved Noah into the ark. And God had shut the door and closed it with pitch so they could not hear inside the ark the cries of the damned from the outside. And the water began to rise, and they climbed trees, and the water rose above the trees, and they climbed mountains, and the water rose above the mountains. And finally, the last person on the highest mountain saw the water coming up under them, and there was nothing more to hold on to, and they drowned. There will be no escape when Jesus comes again, if you're not ready so Jesus answered the second question. <clears throat> now the third question, they asked Jesus, what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus said this, very odd saying, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. What in the world does that mean? Carcass and eagles. Well, a carcass is a dead body. And eagles in scripture always symbolize victory and strength. So what we have here is a picture of devastation and the victory of God's judgment. What will be the sign of the end of the age? It's not pretty. G. Campbell Morgan says, The world in its final end is looked upon as dead, and the eagles represent the judgment of God. We live in sobering times. Jesus is coming again. That's good news to those who love him. Bad news to those who are walking away from him. That's why I encourage you to come to Jesus with all of your being and live for him. He'll heal you. He'll bless you. And in that great day, <clears throat> he'll be the ark that saves you. Now, here's the questions again. When will these things be? God's going to judge Jerusalem for rejecting me. It happened in 70 A.D. What will be the sign of your coming? It'll be dramatic, visible to all, like lightning. And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Devastation and the victorious judgment of God on a Christ-rejecting world. At the end of his answers, Jesus said, 
If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You know, my parents never would tell me and my three sisters when they went out on vacation when they were coming back. We would say, when are you coming back? Oh, you know, it might be this day or it might be that day. Well, we want to know what day. And they would say, no, we're not going to tell you what day because they knew why I wanted to know and I knew why they wouldn't tell me. <laughs> so they would say, it could be this day or that day. <clears throat> you never know when we're going to come back. And that's why God has told us, I'm not telling you the day or the hour so that you are always ready for my return. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's coming back. Now tell the person next to you, you don't know when. Now that little warning, along with the backdrop I just gave you, sets the stage for the next three parables. They all have to do with being ready for his return. The faithful and evil servant is the first parable dealing with faithfulness before his return. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins deals with preparation for his return. And the third parable is the parable of the talents, dealing with rewards at his return. So say with me, faithfulness before his return, preparation for his return, and rewards at his return. Jesus is telling us how to be ready for his return. Now today I want to look at faithfulness before his return, the parable of the faithful and the evil servant. Now this parable is easy to understand. You have a household. The master of the household leaves for a season. The servants in the household are put in charge and given a responsibility to give food in due season. That's the charge. Now there's two responses from two servants. One of them obeys, but the other one says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master returns suddenly without warning and rewards or judges his servants based on their obedience. Now, here's the meaning of the parable. The household is the church. That's you. It's not a building. It's not a sign. It's not a denomination. You are the temple of God. It's you. He lives in you. This is the church. We could go to a field next week and we'd still be in church. The master of the house is Jesus. The servants left in charge are his people. You, me, we're left in charge of the house. His departure is his ascension into heaven. Remember when Jesus lifted up his hands and in front of his disciples, he ascended into heaven. The responsibility he leaves them with is to love one another. And it's symbolized by giving one another food in due season. So here you have a house. It's the church. 
The servants left in charge of the house are you and me. The master has ascended. He's departed for a while. And he's left us with a charge. See that one another receive food in due season. Now this thing of food in due season is a picture of sensitivity, kindness, thoughtfulness, and a loving relationship. It has to do with how we one another one another. How we treat one another. See, when he comes back, he's going to want to know, how did you treat one another? How did you want another one another? Were you mean, harsh, unforgiving, cruel, hard-hearted? Or were you kind, loving, compassionate, forgiving? That's the food in due season. See, every time you love somebody in the name of the Lord, he's watching. Every time you meet somebody's need in the name of the Lord, he's watching. Every time you forgive, he's watching. I've often thought Santa stole Jesus' gig. He's the one who knows if you've been bad or good. The evil servant represents the danger of believers who lose hope in his return and begin to treat others badly and begin to run with the lost represented by drinking with drunkards. See, something happens to you and me when we say to ourselves, my Lord delays his coming. I don't know where he is, but he's delaying his coming. I don't think he's coming back anymore. I just don't believe it anymore. The minute that we do that, we do like kids who know that they've got time before the parents come home. Jesus knows that we would live in the flesh if we knew when he was returning. Listen, folks, how we treat one another, he's telling us in this parable, is going to be judged and rewarded. The person next to you is very important. I'm very important. You're very important to me. How we treat one another matters incredibly to God. Amen? Amen. And how we relate to a lost and dying world. He says, if you begin to drink, get drunk with the drunkards, you're relating to that world out there like somebody who no longer believes Jesus is coming again. Say, on this message on Jesus coming again, I'm going to preach it everywhere I go. The cross, the blood, and the return of Christ. He's coming again. So what is the food in due season? Well, in Ephesians 4, verse 32, we find some of it. It's enough to keep you busy for about 20 years. So let me read Ephesians 4, 32. Are you ready? He says, be kind to one another. Can you say the word kind with me? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as I have forgiven you. Now let's just take the word kind. Be kind to one another. It's the Greek word krestos. It means easy, good, gracious. Be kind to one another. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. That's the word krestos. And my burden is light. Jesus said, you take my yoke upon you, you follow me, and I am good, 
gracious and kind to those who walk with me. How many of you can say Jesus was kind to me this week? You could have been a grease spot in your living room, but he was kind to you. How many of you are thankful for the kindness of God? He's good. He's easy. He's gracious. And people say, you know, if I go to Jesus, I'm afraid it's going to be so hard, so difficult to walk with him. But he says, no, if you find the real me, you'll find my yoke is kind. It's easy. It's gracious. God is a kind God. It says in Luke 6, 35, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. How many of you can say, I wish he wasn't so kind to some of the people I know, but he is. (laughs) He's kind to the unthankful. He's kind to the unholy. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. He is kind. He's good. He's compassionate. He's kind to people that don't wake up and thank him for a thing. He's kind. And he says, now, my church will be earmarked by kindness. And when you're kind to somebody, you're giving them their food in due season. You're giving them their food in due season. Isn't that good? How many of you need kindness? Do you need kindness? Would it be like food to you for somebody to be kind to you? How many of you can say today with me, I'm not perfect. My halo is tilted half the time. All right. And when it's tilted and you make your mistakes and you get in the flesh, aren't you glad God is kind? Aren't you glad that some of the people in your orbit are kind to you when you've got clay feet up to your armpits? Aren't you glad for kindness? See, he's saying food in due season is how the people in my house live before I come back. They're giving the food in due season. And it's the food of kindness. We all need kindness. Now, here's another one. He says, compassion, compassion. We need compassion, tender heartedness. That means compassion. Your heart goes out to the hurting. I saw people last night. I knew they were struggling. I knew they were in trouble. And my heart went out to them. So often it says in the Bible that Jesus' heart went out to people. He was moved with compassion. When you mess up, aren't you glad for people that are moved with compassion towards you? Moved with compassion. It says Jesus saw the leprous man and was moved with compassion and said, I want to heal you. Be healed. When he saw the Gadarene demoniac, he healed him and then said, go home and tell that the Lord was compassionate to you. How many of you can say this week he was compassionate towards me. I messed up. I wasn't perfect. And he was compassionate. Compassionate. That's food in due season. I don't think there's anything more difficult to see than a mean, harsh, unforgiving Christian. 
Because we are supposed to be giving food in due season to those of God's household. Food. And food is compassion, forgiveness. He says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Where would you be without God's forgiveness? Where would you be? Say with me, trouble. But he forgives. He forgives. Now he says, I'm coming again at a time you don't expect. And I'm going to come into the house. And here's what I want to see. People saying, here's your food. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness. And we're all walking around filled with the goodness of God through others. He says, if you live that way, I'm going to make you a ruler over all my house. You know, I've told you about my family and my mother getting saved a number of years ago. And I'll tell you the truth. I have three sisters, and with one of them, I had a real falling out. Of course, in my mind, it was her fault. She did it. And in my mind, I'd forgive her when she came to me and, and made things right. So do you know what I did? The preacher, the book writer, you know what I did? I held an offense against her for years. And I lied to myself about it and told myself it was justified. I tried to turn the family against her by telling the truth. You guys just don't see her like I do. <clears throat> you need discernment. Because <laughs> I'm right and she's wrong and, and that's just the way that it is. And years went by. My little mother got saved. She got saved when I was preaching in a large church. And she came down on the altar call, and I've told you about this. I had no idea she was there. She would be the first to tell you she had made fun of my faith for years. Thought it was a fad. Liked me better as a sinner. That kind of thing. I mean, sort of. You know my mother, my little sweet little mother. Anyway, I look down there when I give this invitation, and there is my mother. I forgot my mic was hot. I said, Mother, what are you doing here? <laughs> and she said, there's tears streaming down her face, honestly. And she said, where I could hear her, I need to get saved, Jeffrey. I need to get saved. And my little sister was with her. So my little mother prayed that night and came into the kingdom. Now, now I got a praying mother. Everybody needs a praying mother, good, bad, or ugly. You need a praying mother. Now, she, you know, she saw, she saw the rift between me and my sister, and it was breaking her heart. And so she said, she would call me and say, Jeff, you've got to get it right with Judy. I said, Mother, I'd do it in a minute if she'd come to me and repent. Because it's her fault. And she would say, well, can't you just take the initiative? And I said, Mother, it's, it's, it's up to her. And you need to pray for some discernment about her. And then I wrote a book called Making It Right When You Feel Wronged. And that really nailed me. Because now I've written a book about what I wasn't doing. I just didn't know I wasn't doing it. So one day I was in prayer and the Lord said to me, what did you write that last book about? And I said, oh, I wrote about getting things right with people. He said, then why aren't you doing it? I said, I do do it all the time. He said, do it with your sister. I said, but she's wrong. 
He said, go make it right with her. I drove all the way to Houston. I said, Judy, we need to talk. Well, she knew there was big stuff between us. I got her into her room. We sat down. I said, Judy, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. Here's what I was saying. I'm going to give you the food that I should have given you in due season a long time ago. I tried a few times and it didn't work. But this time it worked and she began to cry. And I began to cry. I said, Judy, I've been wrong. I said, will you forgive me? And she said, yes. And she said, will you forgive me? Yes. I hugged my sister. Just a few nights ago, my mother called and said, Judy's in town. Can you come be with us? And I said, you bet. Drove over there, and I can't tell you the difference to go in. I plopped down on the couch right next to her, put my arm around her, began to talk to her, loved on her. And here's what occurred to me. This offense had kept me from this wonderful woman, smart, talented, successful, so many things I can learn from her. And yet this, this offense and this stubbornness to do anything with it kept me from this beautiful person. And I began to reap the benefits of giving food in due season. Jesus said, I'm coming back. You don't know when. You don't know in what circumstance you're going to be in. There will be two in the field. One will be taken, one left. Jesus said, two women will be working at the mill. I'll just say walking through the mall. One will be taken, one will be left. There will be an instantaneous disappearance of millions of people, and you will not have time to go give people food in due season then. See, there is a season to do it, and it's now. So you give mercy now, compassion now, forgiveness now. You do it now in due season. And you know what I believe? I believe that almost all of us here today, there's got to be someone who needs the food of kindness from you or from whom you need the food of kindness, but you can't control them, but you can control you. There's got to be someone who needs the food of compassion from you. Somebody needs your forgiveness. Somebody needs it. Jesus said, give that food in due season. This is the way my kids act in my house. And if I come back and that's what I find you doing, I'm going to reward you. Amen. Now, hear what he's saying? And next week, I'm going to talk about those ten virgins. Five had oil in their lamps and five did not. Don't miss it. It's good stuff. But here, Jesus is taking care of his house. Here's how my house ought to be functioning when the lightning flashes east to west and I return. This is the way my house ought to be functioning. The law of kindness, law of compassion, the law of forgiveness. Chains will break. Relationships will be restored. Jesus will be glorified. You hear what I'm saying today? Food in due season. Can we stand up together?
We've been given a charge by Christ. Give one another the food of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness as you wait for his return. And y'all hear me on this one. Don't involve yourselves in relationships that corrupt eating and drinking with the drunkards. I said this in early service, and I'm going to say it here. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing the last chapter of my next book, and it's called How to Be a Friend of God, the last chapter, How to Be a Friend of God. And I've had to look at this all over again. And I'm going to tell you something. It's very difficult to walk with Jesus in this world. It's, it's difficult. But it's doable. And he's going to give you the power you need to do it. But I'm going to tell you what's going to decide your future five years from now. Do you want to know how I know? Here's how I know what's going to decide your future. What you read and who you run with. Show me who you run with and I'll show you you. Because you're not going to run with somebody that you don't have the fundamental stuff in common with. If you're backsliding, you're going to run with backsliders. If you're walking with the Lord, if you've got to walk alone, you'll gladly do it rather than run with somebody who knocks the cutting edge off your spiritual life. It's not easy walking with Jesus, but I'm going to tell you something. You can just take this for what it's worth, chew the meat and spit out the bones. Go out there. You don't have to do it, but you will greatly profit if you do what I'm about to say. Don't run with anybody who causes you to compromise your walk with God. If you're having to compromise your walk with God, your convictions, what you know is true, in order to walk with them, the day will come, they will be a curse to you because you will realize that you lost such value to be with them. Well, pastor, we have such chemistry. We just have such chemistry. If we didn't have such chemistry... I would run with them. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you, you already have your soulmate. Your soulmate died for your soul. <laughs> died for your soul. His name is Jesus. And if you've got to be completely alone to avoid people dragging you down, do it. Because he said in this parable, the minute you turn your eyes off of heaven, something happens to you. You begin to walk and run around with people who are living in sin, and you backslide. Some people never have front slid, but in case you have, <laughs> let me tell you, you can backslide if you run with the wrong people. Now, this is not another message. This is still this parable. You can tell that your eyes are on Jesus because you're discriminating with who you run with. Even if you've got to sit home on Friday and Saturday nights with no date, you got a date. He'll take good care of you. He'll meet your needs. He'll provide for you. His name is Jesus. And it's not easy, I know. I'm not saying it is. But in our day, all you got to do is go out the door to find a drunkard. They're everywhere, and they're everywhere in the church. Drunkards. So watch who you run with. Boy, that one went over. <laughs> that's what I like about Kathy. Boy, she sharpens me. If anybody has a halo that's almost never tilted, it's her. And, and um, she's a church girl, always has been. But, you know, we're real careful who we run with. We just are discriminating. I like being with somebody that when, we're, when we leave... 
It's like, man, that blessed me. That blessed my inner man. I feel built up in the faith. You don't have to grovel around and settle for relationships that tear you down. God will give you a friendship if you'll take a stand. But don't get your eyes off of him and begin to run with drunkards. They'll tear you down. You'll become a drunkard. You'll pick up their habits, their way of thinking, their worldview will become yours. Now that's free. That'll save you thousands in counseling sessions later. All right. Isn't that right? I can hear somebody thinking, well, Mildred, I didn't come to hear this. I thought he was going to tell us how to get rich. I just did. I just did. (laughs) All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the call of Jesus. That, Lord, we would give food in due season to the house of God. We would be kind. We would be compassionate. We'd be forgiving of one another. I pray that, Lord... Walls will be torn down and chains snapped and relationships restored and many good things will happen because of this word today from your word. Help us to be people prepared in the house for your return. Now, will you take a minute as we, as Steve just plays lightly, will you take a minute and say, if there's anybody in your orbit that needs the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness, the food in due season. And will you just make a commitment to give them that food? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Take a minute and pray.